Hey, welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford. Ugh, getting that out is a mouthful sometimes. <laughs> My name's Al Lunsford. I'm the digital editor with Lynx. That was a lot easier for some reason. Uh, welcome back to another edition of the podcast. I'm so happy to be joined again by my friend, Sean Tolson. Uh, you know the drill. He's a good guy. He knows a lot about golf. And we're going to talk about another one of his travel. Uh, how should I say this? You can call it an escapade if you escapade, want. Escapade, that's a good word. Um, I was blanking. There's a lot of words, but that's a good one. Another resort he visited for his quarterly column for the print magazine of links and that's horseshoe bay in, in texas hill country before we get to that you you guys know we've been debuting a new segment this year the season on the podcast and we're gonna hit you with another one here this is an answer or a question that had a lot of response to it a while back maybe a year or so ago we did a uh, internal answer to this this topic and that's the hardest course you've ever played so we had a piece you can find it on our website where, where we answer this question i had an answer at the time that has changed since then as i've gotten to to play a little bit more around the country i, I found out that there are harder places than i could have ever imagined playing uh, that i would be subjected to but Let's get into our answers to that question. Uh, Sean, our topic of the week is what is the hardest course you've ever played? And I'd like to know your response before we get to everyone else's. That's fair. Um, I, with questions like these, I always struggle to actually, for the most part, I struggle to, to single out one thing as the answer. And so... Uh, sticking with that that trend, I have a I have a trio of the top three hardest courses that I've ever had a chance to play. Um, these all have a a Ryder Cup theme, as it were. Uh, and in order in which I've played them, it starts with the Albatross course at Le Golf National, uh, just outside of Paris. Just to clarify, that's number three, or are we even ranking them? Are they all together can you distinguish i, I guess three? i guess what i since i have a since i have a threesome i guess we could say that this would have finished this is this is the silver medalist and then we have a tie for gold oh okay i thought you were gonna go to go in the middle start then go to three then one but okay so we got a two and then we got a t1 we got a t1 and then we have you know, your, your silver medalist. So we have, we have a, we have a T1 and then third place, right. Depending on okay. how you want to look at it. Okay. So it starts with Le Golf National uh, and the Albatross course host of the Ryder cup in 2018. I played it the summer before. And I remember it being such a challenging test uh, for a few, few reasons. One uh, there is plenty of water on the course. It's in play. And there are a number of, holes and shots that require forced carries over that water and that by itself the forced carries part of it wasn't really where the difficulty came in so long as you can confidently swing and hit the shot that you're trying to hit or confidently attempt to hit the shot you're trying to hit you're 
you were generally fine. But what I remember it being so challenging about it is that the the rough, you had a couple of, you had a yard or two of a, you know, a first cut of rough that if you missed the fairway and you were there, you were, you were for the most part fine. But then beyond that, the next kind of rough was, you know, it was like cabbage. It was so thick where, you know, you were hacking out with a wedge if you could even find your ball. Um, like it was, it was that penal. And so, you know, and so I think that in combined with the water uh, really made for a, a challenging round of golf um, in part because this was my only time playing the course as well. You know, you look out at the tee, you look out from the tee and what you see looks far more welcoming and, and playable than, than what it is when you realize when you get up to the fairway to where you're trying to hit your ball. And if you've missed the fairway, then you realize how much narrower the, the playing quarter really was, even though, you know, it all, it all looks green and very playable from 250 yards away. And then when you get out there, you realize that it was it really did put a, a premium on keeping your ball in the short grass. So deceptively difficult off the tee. And then once you were out there playing the rest of the way in the, the hazards, the water, everything else was sort of in front of you and you knew what the challenge was, but that didn't mean, mean that it made it any easier. So, so that was the first course that came to mind. Quick, quick uh, production note for you. Um, just so you know, and the listeners know, Leg Golf National is set to host the Olympic golf tournament uh, in 2024 in France um, when the Olympics are in Paris. So Little little side nugget for you. You'll see one of the hardest courses that Sean has ever played. In fact, the third place hard course, hardest course by Sean Tolson, stamped official. Um, you'll see that in 2024 at the Olympics. Um, I'll let you continue now. And then the tie at the top uh, is they're both peak die designs, and it's the Straits course at Whistling Straits. And it's the ocean course at Keough Island. A lot of it is due more toward or to the, the visual intimidation that's there. You stand on the tee and you look out and, you know, for certain holes, you're just thinking, where do I hit it? Right. Where is where can I hit it? Um, and it's, it's one of those things where I remember talking with. Michael Riley, who's the director of golf there. And as he explained to me, it's, it's not a difficult course in the way that some courses are for players losing a lot of golf balls. And then by extension, adding a lot of strokes to their score by having to drop and hit or take penalty strokes and all of that. So you could very easily play the same golf ball from first tee to 18th green uh, caveat being there. if you had a caddy, because the caddies are going to be great about knowing where you hit it, even if you didn't see it. So caddies are pretty important at the straights course, but so you can play your whole, your, your one ball sometimes all the way through, but 
there are a lot of times where if you're if you're missing the fairway, you may find your ball, but almost wish that you didn't find it. It's going to be in one of those positions that, um, and we kind of saw this a little bit at the this most recent Ryder Cup last September, which I was actually really happy to see because I wasn't sure when I had played it earlier this summer and had some of those experiences, I was wondering if if the course is going to look far less difficult on TV when the Ryder Cup competitors were playing it, as is often the case when you have the best pros in the world playing a golf course that you've played, they're going to make it look a lot easier than you are. So it was refreshing in a way to see some of the players who were far enough off the fairway where I would have been some of the times to trying to hack it back onto the fairway and even struggling to do that. And I think the fact that you saw some of the Ryder Cup players this year um, or last year having that kind of difficulty tells you a lot about really where the, the challenge is with that course. So, and that's not even factoring in when it gets really windy and it blows off of Lake Michigan. You know, the pros have a good skill of being able to still steer their ball around the course, knowing how to play with certain winds and, we average amateurs, you know, can't do that in benign conditions. So for the average player, all of those things come together to create a very, very difficult golf course. And then similarly, the, my tie for first third pick is uh, the ocean course at, at Kiowa for kind of a lot of the same reasons you look out and on certain holes, you don't see a lot of the fairway and you're just seeing a lot of native dunes and waste areas and a lot of bunkers and sand. And it's a topography that is intimidating because aside from the short grass, it looks like any place that you might land your shot is going to be incredibly difficult to even stand with a golf club, let alone swing and hit a confident, good shot. So, um, and then also like the straights course, the wind blown off of, the Atlantic there can certainly be a factor and with the greens rolling quick and a lot of tightly mowed contours that, you know, that roll off those kind of elevated putting surfaces, keeping a ball on the green. And, and for me, someone coming from the Northeast who doesn't play in a lot of, with a lot of Bermuda and having to factor in the grain, like all those things conspire against us. So those are my three. I would say Le Golf National for the Albatross course, the Straits course at Whistling Straits, and the Ocean course at Kiowa Island. Before I get into my answer, a side note, I, I remember playing at Turtle Point there at Kiowa, and you know we got really fortunate at a place like Bandon Dunes when I went there that we didn't really deal with much weather, haven't played a ton of links golf across the pond, but I just remember being there at Kiowa and being amazed at how consistent the wind was consistent and, and persistent. It was going maybe 20 miles an hour, 25, but it never let up. I mean, it's like you had a fan in your face the entire day blowing on high and I just, that stuck out for me. I'm like, wow, like this is not, this is brutal. Just having to even like 
over your putts. You're just getting like smacked in the face trying to think about where you're you're going to hit a shot or hit a putt. It, and it adds another, just another thing for you to think about in a game where thinking is, you know, the the death penalty for for your swing. It's such a hard thing to try to even to your point, hit a good, make a good, solid, confident putting stroke when you're both seeing and hearing the cuffs of your pants just whip against your ankles. Good luck, right? Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can make a good putting stroke with, with that going on, uh, then then good on you because there aren't many people I don't think who can do that. Certainly not with any kind of consistency. Yeah. Well, I thought, you know, my, my answer to this question for the longest time was Pinehurst number two. And a lot of it, you know, is the turtle shell greens. It's the, you miss the fairway. You, you kind of, uh, it's a gamble at that point, whether or not you're going to have the ability to advance or, or, really just get it back into play, whether or not you end up in some of that natural stuff that is next to the fairway uh, at Pinehurst and everything's pretty firm and fast. That psychological game I was playing with myself where I've seen that course a lot and think that I can, you know, next time's going to be the time I conquer. Uh, number two is not really how it ends up working most of the time. Uh, here or there, you think you you learn a couple new things, but there's always a, a new surprise waiting around that place. Uh, it is a hard, very hard course, I think, um, and the greens have a lot to do with it, which is another reason why now, when someone asks me the hardest course I've ever played, my answer is Wingfoot West, the 2020 and many times before that U.S. Open host. Those are the hardest greens I've ever stepped foot on. Without a question, harder than Pinehurst. You and I played Baltus Roll harder than that. Another Tillinghast course. Let Did me ask I, you a question. Sure. Have you had the chance to play at Oakmont? No, I have not. And that, you know, going back on this same conversation, we actually had a piece on uh, what we called golf's meanest greens. Joe Passoff did that piece. That's his pick. Hardest greens anywhere. I haven't played Oakmont, so. And I haven't either, but. Could change my answer. That's what I've heard in terms of challenging greens. I've heard every green on that course is a three putt at, you know, an easy three putt waiting to happen. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. I mean, with winged foot for me, uh, you you find the putting surface and there are no guaranteed two putts. You know, even if you find yourself in the right quadrant of the green, you got to pick your spot and you got to be comfortable. You know, can I get this within two feet? So I'm not having to worry about anything beyond that length to finish a, a two putt par, a two putt bogey most of the time. Um, it is you're so consumed with getting it in the fairway on the tee, then getting on the green, and you really haven't begun to encounter the challenge that you'll get there at Winged Foot. And they're not small greens. They're, they're in fact, quite the opposite. They're humongous greens. 
but they're so multi-layered and just undulations everywhere. You can stand on the bottom of a green and be 10 to 15 feet below where the back of the green is. I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know how to really explain it or putting it into context and, and unless you stand foot on it and see some of these hole locations, but the combination of, of that event, it's, and it's also very long, especially if you play it back. I mean, I didn't play it on the U S open tees, but it's still particularly long. Uh, and just the history of it, seeing that clubhouse, you know, more of an intimidation thing. Uh, the East course I thought to be a lot more friendly and I'd play that any day of the week. Maybe I would play the East course if you gave me the choice, just because the West is just a absolute heavyweight. Um, and it, it whooped me up and down. I was, I was mentally physically, emotionally spent after playing my round on winged foot West. Yeah. Winged foot's the answer for me without a question. Um, and yeah, you know, I thought Baltus roll was, was pretty tough too. I actually had a good day there that, that may factor into me not thinking it was as tough. Um, you and I both played that course in the, in the same, on the same day. Um, yeah. the way you talked about the rough at leg off, I thought some parts of Baltus Raw when you really got into that thick secondary stuff was impossible to get oh, yeah. out of. So there were there were times during that round where you where you and I were both playing Baltus Raw last summer. There were times where I was having French flashback French flashbacks uh, in uh, in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, so it was they there was enough similarities there that made me feel like the world was very very small <laughs> because the rough was very very tall yeah so if you if you have the fortune of finding your ball there i, I don't know if that's a fortune at all it's kind of a misfortune that you ended up finding it because then everyone else can watch while you attempt to to get it out I'm I'm curious what some of the other uh, some of the answers were for. Yeah, well, we had a lot of. I'm sure you could guess a few of these. We had a lot of Carnoustie's on there, Carnasties. Uh, we had Oakmont uh, appear several times. Want to get into the more in-depth answers from some people? I see Whistling Straits on there. Uh, somebody experiencing a 25 to 30 mile an hour wind off the lake. It was simply brutal. Um, let's see tobacco road. That's one of those that if you have that course knowledge, that will help immensely. Uh, Charlie said, I'm guessing this love it or hate it track will receive a number of mentions as hard as it is. I love it. A unique course that requires a lot of imagination. Uh, no question. I I've played that and, and I loved it. I know that anytime we put something up about that course, it is among the most polarizing Maybe that would be a good topic at some point to write about the most polarizing courses in golf. Um, now, you know, write that down, Sean. We may, we may have All to right. revisit that topic. I like that one. Um, let's see. Ronald says, I am a member of PGA West, and I have never played a course quite like Pete Dye's stadium course. They just played there on the PGA Tour, so a lot of you know what Ronald's talking about. 
It has only a couple of benign shots in the entire course, the par 317th hole. Alcatraz is way harder than Dye's stadium course at Sawgrass. Hot take from our guy Ron. The uh, 17th at the at PGA West is harder than T, at uh, TPC Stadium in well, TPC Sawgrass. Why am I blanking on that? Uh, it takes a lot to pull these thoughts out of my head at some times. Royal County Downs on here. Pine Valley's on here for the fortunate few that have gotten to play there. Uh, Beth Page Black. Of course, that one would show up. Uh, here's another one. Wolf Creek. This is Allen Wolf Creek in Mesquite, Nevada. You literally have to carry mountaintops to reach the fairway. Crazy course. I think you may have played this one. Our, our guy David kind of did what, what you did. We've got a one and a two and then another two. So I guess we got a tie for second. One was Pikewood National in West Virginia. Two, Canterbury Golf Club in Cleveland, Ohio. And 2B was the Donald Ross course at French Lick. Um, as a counter to your whistling straights, uh, Brooke writes in the river course at Black Wolf Run, insanely difficult. I should have taken a caddy. Uh, and then the last one I'll read is uh, Kevin writes La Hinch, hands down, a constant three to four club wind roaring off the ocean. It was so windy, it was blowing our pull carts over sideways. Blind shots, fairways that bounce and roll and tilt and send a drive straight down the middle, careening into waist-high rough. It was the best, worst time I've ever had on the golf course. I love that. It sounds like even though he was dealing with a lot of adverse conditions, he still had a good time. So thanks, Kevin, for that answer. That's a great idea for another conversation. The most difficult, adverse conditions you've ever played golf in. Mm-hmm. That could be a good one, too. Best, Cause worst. Because that's I, I, then that's independent. That's independent then of, of the course. You could be playing your local muni, right? But if if the weather is harsh, it makes for a great a great sort of uh, battle scarred story to, to share afterwards. It's like it's like that that big fish that got away, right? There's always there's always some good dramatic storytelling when the weather is involved in a round of golf. Absolutely. If you choose to play through it, that is very true. I've heard, I've heard some people, we had a piece one time where I think it was about rain gear. And someone said the best rain gear is not going out on the golf course to play in the rain or something to that effect. Now that we're through that, you want to get into some horseshoe Bay. This is another extension, as we mentioned, of Sean's uh, print series, Five Reasons to Love, some of the country's great golf resorts. Today, we're talking about Horseshoe Bay in Horseshoe Bay, Texas, about an hour, what, northwest of Austin, Texas, uh, to put into perspective a little bit. That is correct. In the middle of the state, right there on Lake LBJ. Uh, You've got 54 holes of golf plus a members-only 18-hole course by Jack Nicklaus. Uh, the resort courses are Robert Trent Jones Sr. There's also an 18-hole putting course and much, much more. Uh, but, Sean, you recently visited Horseshoe Bay. 
again, let's just start with first impressions. I think it was your first time there. So um, pulling up in, in Texas, what'd you think? I thought that it, it had the kind of general aesthetic and look and feel about it that if you had been blindfolded and sort of just dropped there and asked to guess where you were, I think that it wouldn't take many guesses for a lot of people to, to get it right. It has that sort of Texas Hill Country vibe to it, it which uh, I realize is kind of an open-ended, vague uh, description, but I, I mean that very positively. It has, it has that sort of Texas Hill Country feel to it that you would want it to, to have. So it's, it has a, maybe a better way of saying is it has what feels like a very authentic sense of place. The other major takeaway that I had from my visit there, which I thought was really cool, is if you remember whether this was in, if you were in high school or college, you had your school dances that were danced through the decades, right? And I feel like Horseshoe Bay is kind of that golf resort equivalent of that. It's sort of, um, especially if you're going there for golf, it's it's golfing through the decades um, because you get to the, you know, you get to the practice area and the driving range of Slick Rock, which was the first course opened in 1972. And there's some signage that's still up on some, some fences that has that, that early 1972 um, font and look about it. It, it, it kind of looks, and I know that this is still a little bit earlier than, than, when the movie was made, but, you know, it has that sort of Caddyshack Bushwood kind of look to it in terms of the signage, right? Like it's, it's a very distinctive um, snapshot in time. Um, but then you get to Ramrock and, and Apple Rock in those areas. And, you know, you're in a very different, uh, a di different sort of decade. And then certainly when you get to the Cap Rock, uh, clubhouse which is brand new I mean that's as modern and contemporary as it gets but even as you're playing the courses that wind through these residential areas uh, that was the other startling thing that I saw visually is that you'll have houses next to each other that are so incredibly different in their architecture um, which really kind of reflects when those houses were built and what the prevailing popular architectural styles of the time were. So even on a, a round of golf on one of the courses, especially if it's a course, well, they all, yeah, they all do kind of meander through these neighborhoods. Um, you can, you'll get a sense of kind of playing through the decades there just by, just by looking at the houses that you drive past or that you walk past. So it's, it's a very cool resort for, being contemporary and modern in all the ways that you want it now in terms of hospitality and service and having some of the, the newer amenities and the food and beverage that are all very much, you know, up to date, but then there are enough aspects of it that haven't been changed physically that allow you to remember that the resort started really 50 years ago, right? So it's a whole half century um, that you can definitely perceive during your stay, which is fun. 
Now, I know one of the unique things about Horseshoe Bay is the different ways that you can get there, um, given its location. How did you arrive and uh, what did you learn about the different ways that one can find themselves getting to Horseshoe Bay? Well, so I arrived the most boring way that you can, which <laughs> is uh, flying commercial into the Austin airport and then driving an hour or so northwest to the resort, which um, boring while true is still an easy drive um, because you're moving away from the city as, as I, I heard over and over again while I was there for the few days that I was there, like, oh, like, like nothing infuriates people more about the city of Austin than the traffic. And so if you are not having to drive through the city, but instead out of it, then you don't have to worry about dealing with any of that. And so, so my, my experience getting to the resort was easy, albeit boring. Um, I suppose if you live kind of in that general hill country area where Horseshoe Bay is located, then you could always, especially if you live on the lake, uh, which is um, LBJ Lake, Lyndon, obviously Lyndon B. Johnson Lake, um, you could just as easily uh, take your boat over to the resort. Um, and then for the people who still are living further afield, but have the means to fly privately, uh, there is a private airport airstrip, FBO, that is within the resorts. Um, well, it's, with, it's, it's a part of the resort. And you could either fly your own plane or take a private charter and land there and a short five minute car shuttle from the tarmac and you are you are at the resort you are at your residence if you happen to own a home there and only a few minutes after that you could be on the first tee if you wanted to so um, I regrettably did not get to enjoy my travel to the resort in that manner but um, it doesn't take much talking to convinced me that that would be the way to go. There's something for everyone there. And no matter if you fly, if you go by boat, you could drive there if you want to, too. They give you a lot of options to come see it. And once you did, once you were there, I know we, maybe you can give us a little background on the names, if you know uh, much about that there, but they're all something rock and in all of the courses. So you've got slick rock, you've got apple rock, Ramrock, those are the three anyone can play. Just the members can play. Summit Rock, what, what's in the name there? Do you, do you have anything for us there? And then I also want to know what the million-dollar hole is. Okay. So, admittedly, I don't know much about where the rock component to the course names come from uh, or comes from. I would say... For, for a lot of them, there, there is sort of like this sort of rock-like sort of feeling being on the ridgeline and in the hills. Um, and I know that for Summit Rock, um, 
I can tell you that it's not the kind of golf course that you would want to play walking. It's, I mean, it is a members only course. So unless you know someone there, if you're not a member, then you wouldn't really be able to get on, uh, unfortunately. But um, from a few of the passes to go from green to tee along the, the front nine of that course, there were pretty steep climbs with a golf cart for a few minutes to get to some certain, some holes along the way. So, so there's enough, there's enough of like a rocky kind of topography to the site in general, which I, if I, if I'm guessing is probably where the rock aspect of the name is coming from. But, um, but I learned a long time ago that if you don't know and you're going to speculate, at least be honest that you're speculating because nothing is worse than just making a claim and trying to sell it off as fact when someone obviously knows and will call you on it. So, um, so that's the, that's the best I can do for the, the answer about the rocks, which admittedly is not much. <laughs> well, the long and short of it, I, I, I don't know if you got the chance to play every course there, but what were your impressions of the golf offerings? So I was able to play three of the four and my first round there was on Ramrock, uh, which was the second of the three courses designed and built by Robert Trent Jones Sr. So that was my introduction to the course and or to the to the resort. And what I promise will be a, a short story. I'm from New England and the forecast for the hill country of Texas when I was there, which would have been in um it was early January, actually. So it was earlier this, uh, this month and it called for moderate temperatures, probably, you know, the 50 degrees, high forties as a, a morning tea time and then getting warmer from there. So I packed clothing that I thought would be appropriate. And then that first day, uh, that first morning around teed off around nine o'clock and it was barely above 40 and it didn't really get much warmer than that. And then a band of precipitation came in that was not on the forecast. And for the next four holes or so, the assistant pro and I played through sleet. And then it warmed up just enough to, uh, to melt the sleet into rain. And that was as warm as it got all day. So the weather, uh, by the afternoon when I was supposed to play Apple Rock uh, was so poor that I uh, really couldn't convince myself to kind of go out and play, but did get a tour of it, which interestingly enough was done in the assistant pro's Jeep, driving down the cart paths of the course, which gives you an idea of really how bad the weather was. Um, so I can at least say that I saw both Apple Rock and Ram Rock on the same day. And they are, they are effectively sister courses. Like they, they kind of are playing from the same clubhouse. And in some ways, they kind of feel like they're mirror images of, of each other. Um, as I was told, the, the, the majority of the dog legs on Ram Rock are dog legs left. And the majority of the dog legs on Apple Rock are dog legs right 
Um, so there's, there's a, enough similarity there, but I was really impressed by all the courses that I, I mean, I did see all four, I played three, I was impressed by all of them. Um, interestingly, Ramrock, when it opened in 1981, was quickly became the most difficult course in Texas. And that was sort of by design, as I was told. It was sort of Robert Trent Jones Sr.'s uh, counterpunch to Pete Dye and what he had done at TPC Sawgrass uh, because Sawgrass opened a year earlier. So as people like to think that TPC Sawgrass in some ways was the catalyst to this movement of creating much more difficult and demanding golf courses. Um, if that, if you believe that, then then Ramrock was very much a byproduct of what Pete Dye did in, in uh, Ponte Vedra Beach. It's called the Challenger. Um, you can kind of see a few things on their website. Looks like they have an island greened out there and on one of the holes. It features narrow fairways surrounded by deep bunkers, water hazards, and dramatic elevation changes to test the metal of scratch players. So they're, they're going straight for the throat there. They're going straight for the scratch guys, not even worrying about, you know, your average weekend golfer. Um, and here, here's a hard course. Like, let's see what you're made of. So I think, I think it's, it's true. It was a challenging course, but it was one of those difficult courses that lulls you into this state of complacency where, you don't see it as being as difficult as it is. Again, this, this comes back to our conversation earlier about how, how much different a second round of golf on the course would be after you get your first experience of it. Um, but to give readers and listeners an idea of the challenge, uh, the first hole is a downhill dogleg left that looks not so bad off the tee until as was the case with my round, the assistant pro let me know that there was out of bounds, both left and right. So it suddenly becomes a very narrow shoot to play down um, because you can't see the white stakes really from the tee. Um, so what looks fairly wide and inviting for that opening tee shot of your round uh, is in, in fact, uh, a much more demanding tee shot. And that type of challenge and those sort of narrow corridors with out of bounds on at least one side continue through much of the whole, uh, through much of the course. So it's one of those things where you, uh, you end up feeling squeezed a fair amount of, amount of the round. Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, it's nice to have a course that's going to really you know, make you put your money where your mouth is, but also have other options there to play in terms of here, 54 holes that anyone can play. I mentioned the, it's one of the most photographed holes in Texas, the million dollar hole. Um, walk me through what, what that is. Okay. So that is the 14th hole on the slick rock course, which was the original course at the resort. Uh, which opened in 1972. Uh, it was the course itself was the design of it was 
contracted to Robert Trent Jones Sr. Um, although I have read reports that a fair amount of the design work itself was done by his son, uh, Bobby. I, hard to know how much of that is true, but at least that's, that's out there um, and speculated at the very least. Uh, so this was the first course of the resort opened in 1972, and the 14th hole has a broad water feature, um, kind of a cascading waterfall uh, that bisects the tee boxes from the fairway. Um, so you're kind of hitting up, not, not drastically so. I would, if I had to guess, just based on the eyeballing it, it was probably... 30 feet high that you would have to make sure that your tee shot uh, cleared from the tee box, but to reach the fairway, but um, also you're hitting from far enough back that um, it's a slight elevation change, but nothing, nothing significant from golf standpoint, but um, has this broad cascading waterfall that now has a, cart path that sort of runs kind of through it in a way like if you think of like a staircasing waterfall they've built a connecting cart path that drives along that that first stair at the top so you have the the water that's sort of cascading down your right uh, as you drive over this bridge um, and then it continues to funnel further down into a, like a collective collection pool on your left-hand side. And as I've learned that feature was, the waterfall I think was always there as I was told, but they, they built it up to kind of have more of that wow factor, the, the cart path component to it. Uh, and that came along either in 1990 or certainly in the early nineties. So it was a solid two decades or almost two decades before they kind of went in and enhanced that hole to really have that kind of wow factor. It, it has the best way I can describe it, that, that cart path and that hole from the tee and the drive from the teeing grounds to the fairway feels very much like what you would expect in Las Vegas. It has that sort of like Vegas uh, showmanship to it. Yeah, there's some cool pictures um, you can see on the website and, and elsewhere if you look it up. Um, it appears that you have to hit right over the waterfall, and I think you kind of confirmed that for us. So that that's a thrill to add in there. Um, of course, someone who's planning a golf trip uh, either with a group of friends or, or family to somewhere, golf is the draw, then you have the other reasons you would want to, to go to a certain place. What are some of those other things that make Horseshoe Bay stand out? Well, from what I, uh, again, didn't experience this while I was there, uh, in part because the weather uh, wasn't, it wasn't ideal boating weather necessarily, because it was still winter in the hill country. And um, as uh, some native Texans had told me, around that time of the year, weather could be great, weather could be kind of crappy. So it's, it's, a, it's a roll of the dice in terms of what you might get. So, uh, so my itinerary when I was there did not get me out onto the lake at all, but 
the resort does have a boat rental program where you can, uh, I want to say that you can, you can rent a Mastercraft uh, and take your friends and family out on the water and kind of get that, that boaters experience in on the lake. Um, you know, I, I didn't dive in too deeply into that, but I, you have to assume that they probably require a boater's license to do such a thing. So you'd have to hope that a boater's license would be required. Um, but that certainly the, the lake is, is especially in seasons where the weather is warm and sunny and nice. Uh, the lake is a major draw, but, but there's a, another golf experience that's equally a fun draw and doesn't require really any real golfing ability. And that's the whitewater putting course, uh, which opened in 1995. And it's spread out across two acres and it's, uh, it's lit for play at night. And it has a par of 72 and it's an 18 hole putting course. So this is not the kind of putting course that you, that you would think of. This is not the Thistledew course, the Himalayas course, any of those broad, when you hear spread out across two acres, you might think, oh, like a broad two acre plot of, closely mowed, undulating. Uh, like one big green. Putting holes, correct, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is not a converted two-acre putting green that they've kind of built out a, uh, an 18-hole course that just goes from hole to hole. Mm -hmm. This is a meandering um, putting course. Think of it like a dramatic, really dramatic, miniature golf course on steroids um, without the windmill, the clown's mouth, any of those like kitschy miniature golf ideas. But instead, it's 18 holes of putting that are effectively miniature shaped real golf holes with sand bunkers. And you'll have dog legs to the right and to the left that will probably play. You'll be putting 30 to 40 yards uh, from the tee to the, to the hole. Um, and they all kind of wrap themselves around this broader kind of water feature that they built out of um, or built, maybe not out of, but they built around this big sort of stone water feature this rock like water feature so from what i was told it's a million it cost at least a million dollars to build back in 1995 so you think about what a million dollars in 95 is by today's standards and it would cost a lot more than that to build it today and as one of the resorts um staff had sort of mentioned to me is like, not only did it cost that much to build it in 1995, but you think about whether or not someone would even decide to build it today. So it was, it kind of was born from this period of time where they wanted this friendly, friendly, dramatic, uh, larger than life sort of miniature golf experience 
that actually is a, it's a, it's a ton of fun to play. Um, it's, you know, it gives somebody who's not a golfer a chance to kind of understand what playing golf is like in a way, because these holes are so big and shaped like real golf holes where you have to, you have to have some course management, you know? So there, there are fairway bunkers. There are kind of what you could kind of call greenside bunkers. If the sand is up closer to the, where the hole is. And so you also only have a, a putter. So your ball ends up in this soft sand. You have to try to punch it out somehow. Right. So it's um, it provides a little taste of what real golf is like, but only with a putter in your hand. Yeah. There's a course. I, I remember a putting course like this uh, at Disney down in Orlando. They have one that's, that's kind of similar. The bunkers aren't real sand. It's like white grass it's a little thicker but i mean this is this is legit it's par 72 which means you, you're gonna have some par fours and fives of the putting variety that uh, it's real zoysia it's real bunkers uh and it's really challenging there's some strategy involved it's not just go going for hole in ones every time from what it sounds like so i'm sure there's some good putters among the membership there at horseshoe bay Outside of golf, anything that stood stood out? Did you go eat somewhere nice? And yeah, the um, so the the newest the newest draw there from a food and beverage standpoint is um, it's called the Cap Rock Clubhouse, and it's not a clubhouse in the traditional golf sense where there's a pro shop and there's a restaurant and there are other aspects of what a broader golf clubhouse would normally have. And this is up built up where the Ramrock and the Apple rock courses are essentially what they've done is they've built three separate smaller buildings that will house just one aspect of what a broader golf clubhouse would have under one roof. So there's a, there's a pro shop. That's a separate building. There's a kind of a function space uh, for meetings and that sort of thing. And, uh, or, or events, and that's a separate building. And then there's this cap rock clubhouse, which they just opened, just finished as part of a broader hundred million dollar renovation that um, had been taking place over a number of years at the resort. And it is a very contemporary and sleek restaurant uh, that is a fabulous place to go for a meal, um, especially if you, as was the case when we were dining there, we all kind of put our dinner, our dinners in the hands of the executive chef there to just kind of bring out make for us what he what he wanted to serve us and so we kind of got this interesting kind of like a surf and turf kind of combo um meal that was just phenomenal with uh halibut dish that was really good but i mentioned the food and beverage because my dinner the night before was at the resort's yacht club and as somebody who's coming from new england um i have a very specific thought about Maine lobster and what Maine lobster is and how it can and shouldn't be prepared. And 
uh, Horseshoe Bay took a very Southern approach to Maine lobster, which just on the menu made my eye twitch a bit. So we're talking uh, chicken fried lobster. And I guess didn't know how I felt about it. I thought it seemed very sacrilege to, <laughs> to chicken fry a, a Maine lobster, but it was highly recommended. And so it was one of the things at our table that we ordered because they, it was insisted that I, that I try it. And I was all for it. I was like, sure. But I will tell you that I w- had the bar of expectations or was very low for what this was going to be. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, so now granted, you're not gonna get great chicken fried lobster everywhere. Um, I feel like that's a very safe statement yeah, to make. That seems like a specialty. Right? I've yes. never heard of that. Yeah, no. So, I, I mean, I feel like probably got to pick and choose where you are. If they have chicken fried lobster on the menu, like obviously it's not going to be great everywhere. So take with you, take that with you um, as you go forward. But if you're at Horseshoe Bay and specifically the Yacht Club and you see the chicken fried lobster, especially if you love lobster, don't, don't scoff at it and certainly don't not order it because um, it converted a New England purist to realize that it can be really good when it's done well that way. All right. Sounds good. So last thing for me, um, I don't know what kind of accommodations you were staying in. Do you know what all the options are for someone looking to, to come to the resort? what they can stay in do they, do they have like a hotel or, or what's the lodging situation there is a there is a hotel um it's kind of it's called the tower or the towers um and it's uh from my experience it's sort of a standard golf resort single king size bed um kind of resort rooms that were very comfortable but there are other options as well you can you can rent out, um, you know, some villas, which um, are essentially kind of broader um, multi-room, multi-bedroom kind of condo units. And with all of the residences, uh, because this, this whole resort initially began as sort of a private membership club uh, where they're Maybe not, maybe not exclusively private, because I think early on, if not right away, very, very early on, there was sort of a little boutique in that was built um, for outside visitors to come and stay. Uh, but the, the bigger hotel that now exists is, a, is certainly a newer addition to, to the resort. But um, with, with so many residences within the community, um, I would, I don't know this to be hundred percent sure I'd have to double check on it, but I have to imagine for the right clientele who's, you know, willing to spend more than what it would cost for a, a villa rental or a normal resort room and also have the people that the number of people in their party that, that would warrant this. I'm sure that there is a rental program for some of those residences too. Um, again, I say, I'm sure of it, but I, I, I would still need to fact check it to feel 100% confident saying that, but I guess maybe it's better to say I would be surprised if there wasn't a, a home rental option there. So 
regardless, there are plenty of different entry points for what you might be looking for. Yeah, it looks like there is. Um, and like you mentioned, that's one of the good things about about Horseshoe Bay is that it's it wasn't initially built to welcome, you know, anybody and everybody. So the quality and everything's very, you know, nice and catered to the people that live there. Um, and now anyone can access it. So you know that everything's going to be high quality. You got a lot of golf to play. It's in a great location. Austin is this up-and-coming city in Texas that everyone wants to move to, so you can go check that out while you're there. Um, I think this should be – it should give it enough reason to, you know, seep into your mind when you're thinking about somewhere to go, especially – and being so centrally located from everywhere, east or west coast, you go right in the middle and, and find a, a place with three RTJ senior gyms. I, I don't know – if you can find that anywhere else. I think that was, that was certainly one of the major selling points of the resort. Um, by the time we got to the mid 1980s, when Apple rock, the third of those Robert Trent Jones senior courses was opened was that it was the only golf property in the country that could offer three distinct courses, all designed by RTJ senior. Well, Sean, thanks again for, for sharing your stay. I hope you can go back and play in a little bit better weather. It sounds like you got rained on a bit during your first stay, but maybe this sequel will be, will be that rare time where, where you actually have a, a better time the second time around, especially now that you know what to do once you're there. As always, thank you again. Until next time, good luck at the next resort you go to. Thank you very much, Al. It was a pleasure. <laughs>